Hello, and welcome to the St. Emlyn's Podcast. My name's Simon Carley, and today I am joined by a very special guest, who is... Esther Murray. Welcome, Esther. And I think maybe, well... Yeah, let's 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 get you to introduce yourself first, and then we'll tell everybody why we're speaking to you today and why it's relevant to everybody in critical care, emergency medicine, and pre-hospital care. So I'm a health psychologist, and I work at Barton the London School of Medicine and Dentistry, and I was hired there to teach health psychology to medical students. That's an interesting place, isn't it? Because Sparts is very closely related and very well known internationally in our world as the place where London Hems is based and where they've done quite a lot of education there. They've got a number of higher education and undergraduate degrees running now, which are related to pre-hospital and emergency care. And I think you've had some involvement with that as well. That's absolutely right. Yes. So when I started there, I met Danny Goodsman and uh, we fell to talking about one thing and another. And so, yeah, I do have an involvement with the um, IBSC and pre-hospital medicine as well. And the reason why we're talking today is, well, lots of reasons, because we had a, we met up in Manchester at the Basics Conference, and that was a really interesting chat up here. But one of the topics we got onto there, which and now which has been subsequently published in the EMJ, just I think it was last month, is your work around this concept of moral injury, which I found really fascinating when we got into this. And I think is a concept which will chime with a lot of people around the world. And certainly when I was reading this, I thought, mm, yeah, I can definitely see this in myself and also in some of my colleagues. So do you want to tell us or give us an introduction about what this concept of moral injury is about? Yeah, absolutely. So I discovered it while I was reading about trauma um, and vicarious trauma in people who practice medicine, basically. So I've always been really interested in how it is that any healthcare professional does their job. So when you train as a psychologist, part of your training is to learn about yourself and how you react to things and what you might do about that and who you can talk to. And you're kind of required to maintain those conversations and supervision. So I was reading about trauma and I was reading about work with veterans in the US who were had PTSD, but they weren't recovering. And this psychiatrist who had a really long experience working with these people said what he thought was happening was that actually this moral injury had happened to them. And, and this was something to do with their basic humanity and f- witnessing things that were unacceptable. And of course, if you're in a war, you absolutely witness things that are unacceptable. But in medicine, that happens all the time as well. So it has to very much to do with witness. You know, it doesn't have to be something that's happened to you. You don't have to be a victim of trauma, but to have seen it happen or see it playing out in the lives of other people. And it's very much in the case when you can't do anything about it. Okay, so it's not something you can fix. It just is. The nature of our job is that we see things which are rare events for the general population, um, but which are dramatic, which are... Um, very painful, often very traumatic, life-changing or even life-ending. And we witness those as part of our daily practice. And in the paper, you talk about the fact that we have sometimes very junior people, so medical students and student nurses and other people just in their training programs, who get to witness these with really very little prior experience or exposure to doing so. Yes. And I do think that there is an argument. So there's a dose response for this moral injury, just like there is, or this seems to be, just like there is for PTSD. So that would mean that the more you get of it, the worse it is. But there is another argument that's about coming to things fresh um, when it's early in your career and you don't, it's like not knowing where to put it. What is causing the problem is not so much the fact of it as as the not knowing what to do with it. And of course, if you 
haven't had any practice at that, that's going to be more difficult. So we talk about moral injury and we talk about the, the sort of the event. What, how does it manifest itself? So what, what actually is moral injury? How would we recognise it, feel it, see it or or have an idea on when it's happening or when it's occurring? So it manifests in usually um, a kind of, so there'd be lots of rumination and intrusive thoughts. So what you might notice if you were observing someone is that they would seem to be a bit away in their thoughts. They wouldn't seem to be as present as they usually were. Um, they might be grumpy, you know, low and appear to be sort of low in mood and perhaps a bit grumpy. And what we think is happening is that shame plays part of it. So the inability to prevent bad things happening um, leaves people with feelings of shame. Now, whether those are feelings of guilt and shame that are in any way kind of reasonable or rational doesn't really matter. That's how it manifests itself. So you might notice someone who isn't working in the team as well as perhaps they once did, um, who's quieter and a bit more withdrawn and, and perhaps a bit snappier. So shame, actually, I, I'm very interested in shame because I think it's one of the most powerful emotions that people ex experience. And it's one of the diff most difficult. I'm not a psychologist, but my understanding is that it's one of the most difficult kinds of emotions to shake and move on from. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I'm very interested in it, too. Um, in a different area, actually, I'm interested in, in what, what it's doing for people trying to recover from addiction. When I read, so obviously you, people have probably seen me on Twitter and I'm reading people's feeds on Twitter and seeing what people are saying. And I notice sometimes that, especially in emergency medicine, where the whole idea is that you are there to do things when, when other people would have run away from the incident or not be present at the incident, um, you folk are there. Um, and I read sometimes about people saying, oh, well, it was my night off and I'd had a glass of wine or something. And so I couldn't attend this terrorist event or say whatever and feeling badly about it and that's not I mean that's human and not very sort of logical or rational if you like and and that leaves these feelings and that's an intractable feeling then because you can't rationalize it away it's just a bad feeling do you see what I mean it's not a question of let's be really sensible and logical about this and then you won't feel bad anymore because the feelings need to be really carefully worked through. I think you're absolutely right. And and having had similar experiences, we do, I'll be, I'll admit I'm as guilty as that as anybody else, is that if you hear about a particularly challenging case or, or some of the major incidents that have occurred and, and you've not been involved, or you feel that you should have been there, or if you were there, you could have done something. Mm. And those, those feelings are genuinely real. They happen yeah. all the time, I think, for most people who are involved in emergency medicine. And I do wonder whether or not, I have a theory that we we have a, a large number of people who come into the acute care specialties, like emergency medicine, pediatrics, acute medicine. Um, but we have a real problem with retention. Yeah. We have a real problem with people continuing through. And I've often wondered whether or not, when I was reading your article and, and listening about moral injury, about whether or not the accumulation, you talk about a dose response, yeah. may have an accumulative effect on people and may even, I mean, it's a, it's a tenuous link, but may even lead to issues of retention and job satisfaction and mental health issues. Absolutely. And I don't think it is a tenuous link because uh, the work on, so if you look at burnout and compassion fatigue, so the work on those, and they're all part of a sort of constellation of things that happen to humans uh, when they're constantly exposed to very difficult situations. It is it is hard. You, and, and also you get older and, and you, the, your worldview changes and you almost can't kind of stick it forever. There's not enough almost enough energy to keep managing it. So it takes a lot of energy to manage our emotions and it takes a lot of our um, processing energy. So a lot of our space for cognition. That's why when you're very worried or very stressed, you tend to miss things or forget things or drop things or you're not listening or paying attention because your mind is busily working away at this problem. So if you think about that going on for years and years and years and constantly thinking, gosh, you know, 
even in the back of your mind thinking, well, why couldn't I fix such a situation or why wasn't I there on such and such a day? You can see that it's a, it's a form of exhaustion, really, that people can't keep it up. I think you're right. And there's a nice paper. I'm not sure if you saw the paper by Laura Howard and colleagues in the EMJ looking at uh, another qualitative study. Well yeah. done. Looking at the experiences of senior emergency physicians and, um, uh, and junior emergency physicians about them carrying stories for long periods of time yeah. and really struggling to, to move over those. And I think that, as you say, these are, these are a constellation of, of various different issues, various different ideas, but they are all heading in a similar sort of um, area, really, that, that, that there's only so much that you can cope with at times. Yes, absolutely. And then the other thing, of course, is that your life is also happening. We're Perhaps we're um, having children and getting married or buying houses, or perhaps we're losing people. Perhaps something's happening with our health. Perhaps we're moving across countries. Perhaps our parents are dying. All these things are also happening. And we do. And I mean, humans live by stories. We love stories. It helps us make sense. We really need to make sense of our experience. And um, stories allow us to do that. And I think... Um, you know, I did see Laura's paper and uh, um, all the other sort of threads about the stories that we're carrying. And it's important. It's important to recognise that all these things are human things. There's nothing wrong in anyone doing any of this. It's just that it might be worth us looking at how we can manage it. And when you look at the, the paper, um, you found lots of quite interesting things in the medical students who were... So this is medical students who are working in pre-hospital care in London. That's right, yeah. And their experiences were, were really interesting and, and resonated a lot with me. They, they had some... What, what would you say were the main themes that came out of that study? One of the biggest things, so I adapted the questions in the in the interview were adapted from questionnaires about moral injury because I was trying to see, you know, is this the thing or is it something else? Excuse me. And one of the things that was really interesting was they talked about, they said, because we're observing, we see more. So sometimes they talked about their sort of very clear, really vivid, sudden awareness of what this injury would mean in the long term, both for the person who was injured and for their family or their loved ones around them. It's almost like they had a, a sort of flash forward to what that would be. And it was it was that, that that very often stayed with them or really hit them. Also to do with, with seeing, I guess, was the idea that they saw things that they then couldn't shake. So there, there's a lot of visual. So when people are, are traumatised or they've had a very shocking experience, you probably know yourself, you, you have viv quite vivid, even if they're not flashbacks, you can have a quite a set of quite vivid images in your mind. And this is especially from first times, first times you see things and you can picture it for quite some time and they usually fade over time. So the students were also talking about things like that, about having these really vivid images. And I could tell from the way they described the scenes that they, it was like they were looking at a photo in their head and just describing it to me. But they also described a, another really classic thing that you do when you're very involved in a task, which is to only remember that task. They so talked about just knowing that they'd done chest compressions, but not knowing anything else about what happened. And that's very typical too. They talked about how impo important it was to debrief. So that wasn't part of the moral injury questionnaire at all, but that is part of standard practice in hospitals and in, in emergency care settings. So they talked about how important it was to debrief, but how they were a bit perhaps shy about feeling that they needed to do it more than once and that they they might want to go over something again and again. And that's partly that was some technical things because they're learning and partly that was some of the emotional stuff and partly that's another human thing wanting to normalize your experience and know that other people feel the same so to want to go back and say I still feel strange about this do you feel strange about this I suppose they talked about the idea that when they were more experienced it would be better 
they looked at their seniors and they did the classic thing of we look at, we can only see other people's outsides when we look at them we don't see their insides they looked at their seniors and said when i am them i'll be okay and i i think that that might be something we might want to consider looking at more i think that'd be fascinating actually just listening to you talking through those things and visual images i can take you to some places mm. in my head which go back years mm. um, and all of those things you said are just you're chiming in my head you know so the first thoracotomy I did I'm I can take you to exactly in the room to the people to the you know it is like a picture mm. and that's a, an extreme example but there are many others and, and sometimes they're not about sort of big um, events mm. in terms of big procedures but they're things which sort of you attach to for whatever reason it might be a person it yeah. might be an event it might be a similarity so something which brings it very personally to you and th- the, what can I say about the medical student's perception that when you're um, more senior, there is no issue? Yeah. Um, I think I know the answer to that one. Yeah. Uh, no, it's <laughs> it just doesn't go away. But I am interested to think, because there are people who cope very well. And I think, I, you know, I'm going to say personally, I think I cope reasonably well with a with a what would from the outside appear to be a, a very challenging post. And I know lots of other people who do. And I'm very interested to know how it is that some people do seem to be not necessarily okay with this, but have developed strategies that allow them to cope with the, the injury. Yeah. So I want to say something perhaps a little bit difficult now. So there are going to be so there are going to be some people who are going to naturally find these things harder than others and it will stay with them more than others and it's just because of the way they're made if you like okay that's we're all different and um some people find things easier to brush off and some people don't so it's not any kind of a judgment it's only a tendency like some people are better at running faster than others i think it is absolutely possible to deal uh, to to have strategies to deal with this and i think it's also important to talk about the fact that doing something is is an important thing Okay, so a lot of the the problem with moral injury is when people have felt that they couldn't do what needed to be done. So you know yourself that when you have that feeling of I did everything there was what there was to do there, I did everything I could do. That it gives you a, a kind of maybe a peace, maybe peace is the best word to describe it that you you don't have if you think, oh, if only I'd done such and such a thing. If you know there was something that you missed or you could have done or you wish you'd got there sooner or something. So there's that. There's also, I just sort of want to flag up, it's been really in my mind this morning that when I really first started talking to especially students who were doing pre-hospital care, they'd say to me, oh, I know it's a bit off kilter. You know, I want to see people on their worst day. And it's almost like I want to see these terrible accidents. And you see, there's a whole branch of psychology that would come at that from a completely different angle and say, it's not that you want it to happen. It's that you know that if it happens, you have the skills to deal with it and and you want to exercise your skills. You want to do your work. And that is in all the positive psychology work on, on a thing called flow, which is about when you're absorbed in your work. That's exactly the kind of thing you'd expect to see. So sometimes it's about pointing out that these kinds of reactions aren't odd, whether you're feeling okay or not feeling okay. It's all part of the spectrum of human experience and you're not alone. There's um there's a blog post actually, which has um, been in development. This is on the St. Herman's blog site. So it's not public yet. And it's one I've been half writing for about five years mm-hmm. now. And I think the title is something like The Paradox of a Great Day. Yeah. And it is that thing that, you know, you you might go back and say, you know, what was your shift like last night? Oh, it was awesome. We did two thoracotomies, there were three cardiac arrests. And, um, you know, and if you just stop for a moment and have a think about, oh, my God, those are awful events. 
They're absolutely tragic in most case, occasions. But we have that sort of crazy paradox of working here when you actually almost want these things to happen. But also recognition sometimes, and that comes later. So the anticipation that it was good or it's going to be good. The standby phone goes, oh, there's three people coming in for an RT, uh, from an RTC, mm. you know, one with a head injury, one with a major chest injury. And people go, yeah, cool. Let's go to recess. <laughs> that is not normal. But it's actually a reality for many people in emergency medicine. And then afterwards, it, you know, sometimes that, that hits you. And one of the things I found, particularly with medical students, and I've got to say, having spoken to you, I have changed my practice very considerably, Ooh. is when, yeah, no, absolutely. So with our medical students, we will often have that, exactly that thing. The standby phone goes, they go, what's coming in? They go, cut it, and you go, great. And then they do something and they will get involved and they'll do something like chest compressions. And they're lived experience about what they expected this to be yeah. and how they expected to feel afterwards is really very different. Yeah. And I've changed the way that I do my debriefs now from really what was possibly more technical yeah. and now very much focusing on how do you feel yeah. and going back again later. Yeah, I think debrief is almost sort of a whole other uh, question that we sort we should maybe touch on but um as you were talking I was thinking about what you're saying so so if you imagine so there's the road traffic accident well there, there will always be accidents and isn't it a relief to the rest of us to know that you lot are standing there going brilliant I know what to do because the rest of us don't <laughs> see we need you <laughs> to to be great at it and and there's nothing you see it's not odd it isn't for me it isn't a paradox at all it's like oh thank heavens for that I, I think it's fascinating. I think it's just one of those things which we we sometimes wonder in emergency medicine whether we've we've changed or whether we have a different view of the world. But that's, I mean, you're right. I mean, if I get knocked over on the on the road today riding my bike into work, I do hope that my colleagues and my friends are there, keen, skilled, enthusiastic, and capable of dealing with whatever comes through the door. Yeah. What I'm getting at, I think, is the difference between. The excitement and the anticipation of the medical work and also carrying, as you describe, around the moral injury. And particularly in my world, and I think particularly in London, where there's uh, quite a high level of interpersonal yeah. violence, which you find difficult to rationalise. That that aspect, we've perhaps not thought about in the way that we should. And and I think your paper really does sort of open people's eyes to that concept. Yeah. And I think, especially because I was talking to very young people as well. So they, when they were seeing interpersonal violence, it was usually amongst young young people. And I think it, it shocked them. And sometimes, you, you know, we know that if you identify with a patient, whether you're the same age or gender or whatever, or you've even got the same haircut, whatever, you, you identify with somebody and it's harder to deal with. So these folk were really struggling with the idea that young people had hurt one another. And I remember one chap, and it was so vivid to me, he said, oh God, this thing has happened and it's up to us to fix it. And I wanted to say, I wanted to just step out of my interviewer role and say, it's not your job to fix it. That's definitely not your job. But I, I did see his point. And I think the reason that it's important to start having conversations about moral injury is that it isn't anyone's job to fix it in that sense. You know, you can do the medicine and you can do great work, but you can't change the way people are. And we need to talk about the way people are in order to be able to do this job really well and enjoy it and be brilliant at it in a sustainable way that doesn't leave people exhausted and depleted. Okay, so I'll try and bring a few things together um, before we finish. So I think people should go and read the paper about moral injury. I think anybody who's been involved in thinking about sustainable, well-adjusted, 
highly functioning workforce, I think this will definitely be relevant to you. And I think anybody who's embarking on a career in emergency medicine or, or even who's well established will find some really interesting themes in here. The question I'd sort of think to, to sort of finish off with you is where do we go from here? Where uh, this is a, a, a very interesting study looking at medical students. Is this something you're going to carry on and take into other professional groups or other settings? Yes, absolutely. So ever since I started talking about it at conferences, people have been contacted me, contacted me and sort of saying, what about me? What about me? <laughs> and uh, Which is fantastic. And I really, really appreciate every time anybody gets in touch. So yes, definitely. I, I'm applying for um, ethical permission to start doing kind of wider work with NHS stuff because I don't think we've bottomed out this concept because remember that it's it's taken from a different field and I all I was ever wanting to do at the beginning was to say is could this be useful for you to talk about in your work so that you can do your work for longer and be well adjusted as you say and 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 for it to be a sustainable thing so yeah definitely uh, getting permission to talk to different groups of people at, at different stages in their careers that's another really big interesting point for me and if people are very interested they've got your contact details on the paper yes and they can contact you there you're on twitter and what's your twitter handle again oh it's at em health psych health psych so i think quite a lot of people are following you already yes. but if you haven't if you're not if you're not following you already then you should do i personally think there's a huge amount just as a general principle that we can learn from psychology and medicine and looking at the expertise from another field having a look at cross-fertilization between yeah. different academic disciplines is fascinating because you just do get a different insight and it opens your eyes to things which you've never really thought about before. So I think this is a really good example of that, actually. Thank you. Thanks for saying so. Yeah, I think we can't see ourselves. That's why we have another person to help us look at ourselves. And that's why cross-disciplinary work is so useful, I think. I'm going to end there because I'm going to steal that line <laughs> because I'm doing some presentations soon on exactly that about how do we how do we become excellent? How do we know ourselves? And the answer is often we can't. Yeah. We can only do it through the eyes of another. So that's a really good place to end. Thank you so much for your time. We will pop this on the podcast. I'll put a little blog up to accompany it. If you haven't read the paper already, then do so. It's available on the EMJ site. And just stop, pause, have a think. And if, like me, you read the paper, I think you'll change your practice. I certainly have. And I've certainly changed the way that I deal with my medical students, I think, for the better. So thanks for making a change. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you.